All right. If you have a Bible with you today, I want to invite you to find Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14, okay? Uh, hopefully you guys had a good 4th of July. Uh, summer is going by pretty fast. That's at least for me. How many of you guys would say your summer is going by fast? Yep. Like it always is way too fast. All right, my prayer though for us as a church is that this summer wouldn't go by so fast that, that we maybe miss something that God is trying to impress on us as a church or on us as individuals. Okay, it isn't bad to have things going on, uh, to be taking vacations, to be running around, uh, but let's make sure that we aren't moving at such a fast pace this summer that we can't hear God's voice. Okay? Because here's the thing, like, if you're moving at a fast pace now, this summer, more than likely when the fall hits, it's not going to slow down, it's going to speed up. All right, so let's just kind of make sure that we're living our lives uh, in a way where we are ready to just hear from God and that God can, God can speak to us, we can hear it, we can slow down, we can love people that are around us. We aren't going so fast that we can't do that. So, uh, so we're here this morning. Let's, let's make the most of this time. All right, let's take advantage of this opportunity that we have and just kind of press in, sit on the edge of our seat and, and expectant that God has something for you, all right? So would you stand with me? Uh, we are continuing in the book of Acts. All right, we are in chapter 14. We're going to start in verse 8. While they were at Lystra, Paul and Barnabas came upon a man with crippled feet. He had been that way from birth, so he had never walked. He was sitting and listening as Paul preached, looking straight at him. Paul realized he had faith to be healed, so Paul called to him in a loud voice, Stand up! And the man jumped to his feet and started walking. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in their local dialect, These men are gods in human form. They decided that Barnabas was the Greek god Zeus, and that Paul was Hermes, since he was the chief speaker. Now the temple of Zeus was located just outside the town. So the priests of the temple and the crowd brought bulls and wreaths of flowers to the town gates, and they prepared to offer sacrifices to the apostles. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard what was happening, they tore their clothing in dismay and ran out among the people, shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We are merely human beings, just like you. We have come to bring you the good news that you should turn from these worthless things and turn to the living God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. In the past, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways, but he never left them without evidence of himself and his goodness." For instance, he sends you rain and good crops and gives you food and joyful hearts. But even with these words, Paul and Barnabas could scarcely restrain the people from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews arrived from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowds to their side. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of town, thinking he was dead. But as the believers gathered around him, he got up and went back into the town. The next day he left with Barnabas for Derby. God, we pray that, uh, Lord, this morning as we just kind of open up our hearts, as we open your word, God, that we would be expecting to be changed. Lord, that, that that's our attitude right now. God, that this isn't just a time where we gather together and we spend some time listening to someone and then leave and continue in our life. But God, that we would be changed this morning. We would look more like you when we walk out of this place. Jesus, we ask that in your name. Amen. All right, you guys can have a seat. So we've been going through the book of Acts, if you've been here this summer, uh, basically following Easter, we started in the book of Acts, uh, and today we kind of hit a turning point in the book. Okay, actually, technically, in between last week and this week, we hit a turning point. Okay, the first 
12 chapters in the book of Acts, kind of lays out a bunch of groundwork. Okay, it's, it's the backstory of the early church. It's, it's in a way, I guess you would think of it like character development, okay? Like we're kind of getting all of this story as we look at it. Now, after Peter's story of escape from jail last week, uh, we turn to the Apostle Paul, and we basically stay with him to the end of the book. All right, uh, God has moved his promise uh, on from just the Jewish people to anyone who will surrender their lives to the kingship of Jesus Christ. Like, that's what we looked at last week. This is moving beyond the Jewish people to everybody. All right, so this includes non-Jewish believers. Now, the remainder of the New Testament is letters that are written from church leaders to specific churches, specific people, or just general letters that were meant to be passed around among Christians. All right, uh, and, and all of those letters were written starting, like, following the start of this missionary journey. So really today, we are in the first missionary journey of Paul, and this is like the start of the rest of the Bible, all right? So there's kind of this turning point that has happened, all right? Uh, everything else that happens is inside of the context of these journeys uh, and planting churches and, and those communities, all right? And each of Paul's missionary journeys has a few stories uh, that kind of happen as he's going around. Uh, and I was kind of thinking about this, and our plan is to go over some of those individual stories, we're not going to hit every single one of them, okay? And because of this, I said this last week, I'm going to say it again, I highly recommend that you spend time reading through the book of Acts on your own, okay? Like if you are just coming here and hearing things here, you're missing out. There's so much more. I want to encourage you this week, even if you're doing another reading plan, just kind of open up the book of Acts, continue to read all of the things that are going on. All right. Uh, if you're wanting a resource to help you read and understand these stories better, uh, an easy recommendation is a commentary called Acts for Everyone. And I say commentary, and you might be like, that sounds really intense. I don't want to do that. It really is. It's written by N.T. Wright. You can get it on Amazon for like $10. And it has the scripture in the book, and then you're just reading. Uh, it's almost in a way like a devotional that brings in the context of the passage as well. Okay, and, and this is something that like even uh, our, our teams that are going on mission trips, they're starting to do this. Uh, there's a team that's going to Nepal and they're reading through a study guide with um, the book of Acts, kind of looking at this. So it's, it's a great thing, all right? So today we are going to pull out one of those stories from Paul's first missionary journey and it's towards the end of his journey. All right, so I have a picture here. This, this is the, the world that we are in as we're kind of like looking at the majority of the Bible, really. All right, and then uh, there's this, I'm going to have this square on there. This is roughly where the rest of the New Testament happens until we kind of start going to Rome. Okay, Rome is obviously in Italy. That's where they keep Rome. And so that, that'll be a little bit further away. Uh, but then there's a little bit smaller square here. This is the first missionary journey. This is kind of where Paul is at. All right, and then, and then here's a picture that is, this is what the first missionary journey looked like. Okay. Uh, and it's a little bit hard to read, which is why I wanted to use that map. I mean, that's just Google Maps showing us in the world. This is where we are as we look at this. So, so far in his first missionary journey, we have seen Paul confront a sorcerer who is sort of an advisor to the leader of Cyprus, all right, that little island. And God made the sorcerer end up going blind for a time. And because of this, the leader of that island believes in God. All right, back when Paul was called, he said, I'm sending you to kings, I'm sending you to, to the Jewish people, to the Gentiles, but they say kings, like leaders. And we see this happening on his journey. All right, then Paul and Barnabas preach in a synagogue 
Uh, in Pisidian Antioch, that's different than the Antioch we were talking about before. It goes well. The Jewish people, uh, they're excited. They invite them back the next day. And the entire town turns up the next day to hear them. And then just kind of like the Pharisees with Jesus, the Jewish leaders there begin to get jealous. Because the entire town turns up. And they start to kind of work against Paul and Barnabas. The first day they love them. The second day they aren't having it. All right, and they basically kind of run them out of town. They end up persecuting them, kicking them out of the area, uh, but not before a bunch of people believe in Jesus. They move on to Iconium. They preach there. Many believe and many get upset. That seems to be the common thread. People will believe, people get upset. It's no different today. All right, people believe, people get upset. Uh, and then they end up leaving there basically prior to people killing them. Like when we say that people were getting upset, that, that's the level that they were upset at. They wanted to kill them. So they take off. And then that brings us into where we are today. All right. Uh, and this is basically kind of the halfway point of his journey. But the second half of the journey is actually going back through these towns again and encouraging the believers. The people that had, had accepted Christ, that had said, I want to live for him. So this is kind of about the, the halfway point, And then they turn around and kind of go back. So our passage, our passage today starts off with Paul uh, seeing a man who was unable to walk. He had been that way since birth. Paul sees that he has faith to be healed. That's a weird little phrase there. He has faith, he sees this. He has faith to be healed. Our right, last week we talked about prayer and healing. And we are seeing here that in, in some element, uh, someone having faith that they can be healed plays into this. All right, we aren't really positive in all these things. We talked about that last week of how uh, it can be dangerous when it's all, you just have to have faith and God will automatically do it. It's not that, but faith plays a part in this. Then it says this, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in their local dialect, these men are gods in human form. All right, now there's this internal desire in all humans, all right, in you and in me, uh, that where we want to be praised. We want to be admired and respected. Like, it is just part of who we are. Like, you feel better when this happens, okay? It pumps us up, and, and we feel noticed, and we feel appreciated. How many of you guys are there? How many of you guys maybe know love languages? Anybody, like, words of affirmation? You're like, that's me. I need someone encouraging me. Absolutely. All right, like, th this is a big deal for us as humans. Uh, Mark Twain, he had this quote. He said, I can live for two months on a good compliment. You ever find yourself doing that? Someone just really encourages you, says something specific about you, and you just keep thinking about it. You're like, oh, that was so nice. That was so good. Like, it's, I had someone write me a letter once, and I hung on to that. When I was having bad days, I would pull that letter out. I'd be like, okay. You know, like, it just, it was a good thing. Now, now, think about the last few months for Paul and Barnabas on this missionary journey. Okay, they sacrifice Everything to travel and share the good news about Jesus. They, they give up everything to go on the road. And pretty much everywhere they went, they had opposition, people getting mad, people wanting to hurt them, and actually even kill them. Like, this has been the last few months. Can you, okay, put yourself in their shoes. You, you've sacrificed everything. You've given everything. You've sold your house here, and you've moved your family across the world to serve people, and they hate you because of it. I like, this is kind of what's going on in their life. So to go somewhere new here and have people actually like you, not just like you, but to bestow basically the greatest compliment you could ever give. 
These men are gods in human form. Right? Like, seriously, that, that is, that's just way up there. Like, you are a god. Like, and it may, maybe this is just me. I'm like, that is crazy to sit there and have that compliment to actually think that they are gods. Now, I think a lot of people in this moment, including myself, you would just be like, oh, no, no, you're too kind. Uh, and we, we would we'd kind of laugh it off and we'd be like, no, no, that's not me. No, that's fine. But we actually don't want them to stop saying the nice things that they're saying. You know what I mean? So we kind of, oh, no, no, it's fine, it's fine. And, uh, and, and we just kind of, we don't really come against that, all right? And it's this false humility where you really like what they're saying, you don't want, want them to stop, but you feel like you have to say something against it, all right? Uh, but they, they didn't want to take anything from God. They didn't want any of the glory, any of the honor that was due to God to be given to them. Like, remember, the message that they're preaching is that Jesus was God in human form. Like, the compliment they were just giving is actually the message they're trying to send out about someone else. And at the end of the story last week, Peter escapes uh, from jail, and Herod doesn't want to deal with it anymore, so he leaves, he goes to Caesarea, and he is conducting business there. And during this business, Herod gets up, he makes a speech, and at the end of it, the people love it. And they say, oh, this isn't the voice of a man, it's a voice of God. And he sits there and just kind of takes that praise. And in that moment, an angel of the Lord comes and kills him. And that's the end of his life. Right? Like, so we just got done seeing this. And now all of a sudden, this is happening to them. Uh, and so th there are pretty big things at stake here, apparently, when people start to praise us for something that wasn't us, but was actually God. All right? And uh, the, the people start to gather all sorts of things. They thought Paul was Hermes because he's the one talking. So he's a messenger. And Barnabas is Zeus. I don't know if he's just really big and buff or, or what. And, and in response to Paul and Barnabas, uh, they, they tear their clothes. All right, which is a sign of distress and like mourning uh, and, and despair. Okay, like that doesn't make sense to us because I am pretty sure I am not strong enough to tear any of the clothing that I own. Like that's just, I don't know if it's just made better nowadays or what, but this idea of like, no, this is terrible, I'm going to tear my clothes, that doesn't really register with us. All right, but ha have you ever done something for God and then received praise for it? Like, think about this. Have you ever done something and someone comes up and, and, and says something? Okay, maybe you were really generous and you gave a lot to something. All right, or maybe you used uh, some talent that, that you have for God and people began to praise you. Oh, you did such a great job on the worship team today. That was so amazing. Worship was great because of you. Oh, pastor, that was a great message. I know, here's the thing. I, I think we say that because we want to encourage people and we don't know what to say, right? Like, that's what it is. But I, I think the reality is, is we could probably find better ways to be saying things to people like, hey, it is so cool to see you using the gifts God gave you for his glory. I love that. Hey, pastor, that message today, man, I, I really feel like God's speaking to me. And this is what I need to change in my life because of that. Like, the, these are ways where we we encourage somebody, but the glory, where's the glory going? It's to God. To God. So how do we respond when those things happen? All right, and I'm going to be honest, I don't think this is necessarily about how we actually respond in that moment to that person. 
Okay, if someone gives you a compliment, they probably didn't know what to say. I don't think that if someone walks up today and says, hey, pastor, good sermon, that I'm going to try and tear my shirt and be like, oh, no, what is going on? God's going to kill me. Okay? Uh, I don't think it's necessarily about that. I think it's more about, like, what is happening internally in you when you hear those words? What is happening inside of you? That, that's important. And when you really get into trouble is when you start looking for that praise, Every time you do something. And you start to live off of that. And you need that in order to keep going. Like I need somebody to notice me. I need somebody to praise me. That, that's when it gets dangerous. So Paul and Barnabas, they begin to correct them. And tell them about the God they serve. And, the, and they say that this God made everything. He's the creator God. And in kindness he gives rain and crops and food and, and joy. And this description is important. All right, we said this before. Notice how the apostles share the good news because it's almost always a little bit different. Not because the message is different, but because the people they're sharing with are different. All right, as you read through the book of Acts, watch how they share this. Compare it to different things. This is important because uh, for Greeks who worshiped Greek gods, you had a different god for everything. And those gods were looking for an excuse to be mean and withhold from you. Right? Like if you didn't do something for them, well, now it's not going to rain and your crops are going to die. Okay? And if you didn't have uh, the child of the gender that you wanted, it's because you didn't sacrifice the right thing to the God of fertility. Okay? Like there's all these different things. This is how they thought. So actually when he comes and he says this, he says there, this one God, this creator God, and he made everything, and he gives it to you out of his goodness and his kindness. Not because of what you've done. Like this, this matters how they say this to them. At this point then, Jewish people from the previous city where they basically escaped with their lives, barely running for their life, were, who were mad at Paul and Barnabas, they show up and they turn the crowd against them. And they stone Paul, they throw rocks at him until they think he's dead. They drag him outside of the city and leave him there for dead. The disciples gather around him, and there appears to be a miraculous healing of Paul. Like, it doesn't explicitly say that, but, I mean, if, if you have been hit by so many rocks that people think you're dead, you're not going to get up the next day and walk 10 miles to the next town like they do. You know, like, that's just... So they, they, they gather around, they pray, and I love this. Then Paul gets up, and he goes back into the city. Does that shock anybody as you read that? Are you like, okay, you took too many rocks to the head. You should have gone the other way. They just tried killing you. But that, that is the resolve that Paul has to share Jesus with people. They try killing him. He gets up, miraculously healed, second chance at life, and sends that second chance right back in there again. Now, here's the thing. This story has some pretty major roller coaster ups and downs. All right? Uh, and you go from getting praised one minute to being beaten with rocks until you're almost dead the next minute. And isn't that just kind of the truth of trying to live out your faith in this world? You're going to have good days. You're going to have bad days. You're going to have people that, that love you for it. You're going to have people that hate you for it. You're going to do your best to try and point people to God. And, and some days it works and, and some days it doesn't. And as we point to a better way of living, 
the way that God intends us to live, people will misinterpret it. All right, and I think that's what's happening here. They come in with the message. The message they gave wasn't wrong, but people misinterpreted it. All right, and that happens in our life. Some people, they will dismiss it altogether. They'll say Christianity isn't real. God isn't real. Jesus isn't real. Doesn't matter. It's a bunch of fairy tales. Okay, that's kind of like the one side. That's, they're, they're coming and just dismissing it. And the other side, they might start, start taking it too far and adding their own things into it. Okay, like they might be like, yes, I, I love this, this message that you gave me. God created me and he loves me. And you're like, yes, you got it. So he must love every single thing I choose to do, especially if what I choose to do makes me happy because he must want me happy. Okay, now you've started adding things to this. And people do this. They, they will misinterpret the message that we have. All right? Uh, almost everything in Christianity can be taken too far in an extreme on either side. There are so many things like that. All right, uh, there's something that's called the prosperity gospel. And it's all about health, wealth, and, and happiness. Okay, and that's one side. You have the other side, there's something kind of called the poverty gospel. Which is like, you just, you can't own anything. You can't have anything. Okay, and it's kind of these two extremes. All right, and the, and the prosperity gospel is like, God wants you to live your best life and have as much stuff as you can. And the more stuff you have, the more blessed you are, which means God loves you that much more, okay? And uh, okay, I went, when I was in college, down to a church in Rochester. And I played guitar at this church. There was a friend was leading worship there, and she got a group of us together. She's like, hey, they're paying us to come down and lead worship for this uh, service. It's a church plant. Will you come? And then she told me how much they were paying. And I'm like, all right, that sounds, I mean, it, it was a stupid amount of money to play an instrument. All right, we'll just put it that way. And I was like, all right, that sounds great. And we go down to this church, and I didn't know anything about this church beforehand. And the church was meeting in this super nice conference room at a ritzy hotel, okay? And we got paid a lot of money to come and play. And it didn't take long to figure out that things were a little off at this church, all right? And they talked about how their goal was to reach doctors and affluent people in the community, which in Rochester, I mean, there's a lot. Like, that was their goal. That's who they wanted to reach. Okay, and they had a guest speaker that day. And I'll tell you what, I have never been so close in my life to going on stage and drop-kicking a pastor. <laughs> it was awful. It was awful. And I'm sitting there, and, and you're listening to this, and they're going on, and they're grabbing this scripture and this scripture, and the way they were talking about it, it made complete sense with that scripture. Torn out of context. And, oh, it was, it was bad. And I remember I was sitting in, like, the second row, because we, we were waiting to go back up and play at the end, and my head was down in my hands, and I, I kid you not, I was borderline, like, hyperventilating as I'm listening to this guy speak. And this was a quote, it's not direct because it's been a few years, but the paraphrase of this. He's up there and he's talking and he says this to the room. He says, do you want to know why so many rich people don't go to church? Because they're sick and tired of hanging around with a bunch of losers. I kid you not, like this was said on the platform and I'm like, <sighs> I'm like sitting there like, calm down, calm down. It, it, it was so bad. Like seeing this just kind of twisted. Now on the other side of, of this is, is the poverty gospel, which basically says like, 
If you trust in yourself for anything, it's wrong. You need to get rid of everything. All right, and you can see those extremes. Like, you know, if you know that you're going to have enough money to pay rent this month, you lack faith. You should have given that away. God will provide. You know, and it's, now here's the thing. Like, it's extremes. Now, I'm going to be honest. If you're going to err on the side of one of those two extremes, I would say move towards poverty gospel. <laughs> because the reality is, is Jesus actually says this in a moment to a person saying, sell everything you have and follow me. Now, he does that. Not because that was the, the protocol for every follower of Jesus, but because he knew in that man's heart, money was king. Money was king. So he had to say that in that moment to that man to say, look it, you think you've done everything. He said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You think you've done everything you must do, but you're still missing something. All right? Like these extremes uh, that go on so much uh, of what we have today, of what we believe, can be taken to extremes one way or the other, and, and it ends up giving you this lens that you look at Scripture through. When you look at Scripture through the lens of prosperity gospel, you can see, you can see Scriptures that support it. When you look at Scripture through the lens of poverty gospel, when you look at Scripture through the lens of whatever it is, kind of that word of faith, like name it and claim it, like we talked about last week, you can see it there. All right? I'm using those examples just to kind of say, like, it's easy to misconstrue the kingdom of God and the teachings of Jesus. Our job, your job, my job, is to have a solid understanding, a firm foundation, and surround ourselves with discerning people that can help us move in the healthiest direction. Like, we have a responsibility to do that. And understand that people have a tendency to understand what is happening around them through a specific filter that they already have. You do this and I do this. We have a filter that we see the world through. In Lystra, there is a temple to Zeus right outside the city. And there actually was a legend in the city that at one point Zeus and Hermes had come down and visited the city. But nobody recognized them. Only this old couple. This is a legend that's in that area. So basically, because of this legend, everyone swore, like, we're not going to let that happen again. If they come, we will recognize them. We will see them. That's the filter that they were living their life with. So when Paul and Barnabas show up, and someone who has been lame from, from birth is healed, they're like, this must be it. The gods are here. Because that was their filter. That was the lens that they were seeing the world around them through. The people of Lystra were hungry and eager. They just, they had a certain filter on. And we go into the world to share Jesus. We have to be aware of the filter that people have around us. And to be honest, we need to be aware of the own filters that we have as well. Because we do. When God shows up and does something for you, what conclusions do you jump to? When God moves in your life, what connections do you start to make in your mind about maybe why that happened? Have you ever been there? Like, man, I had, a, I had a bad week. Oh, man, I skipped church on Sunday. That must be why. Hey, I had a great week, and I went to church this week. That must be why. It's, it's this filter. Now, now, could you boil that down and say that, you know what, when you spend time with the community of God, like, you're setting yourself up to move your week in a better direction? Absolutely. But we have these filters that we, something happens in our life and we start to say, that must be why it happened. This must be what's going on because of that. 
This is why it's so important to have a solid understanding of God's word, of his character, and to know what we believe. And sitting in church on a Sunday isn't enough. Sitting in church every single Sunday isn't enough. There are things that we need to, we need to be immersed in. We need to be seeking after God, spending time in his word. All right? So if you're taking notes, put this down. When we aren't willing to put in the time to grow deeper with God, we leave ourselves vulnerable to misunderstanding God, his word, and what he wants for us. When we aren't willing to put in the extra time, when we want to just sit in a room and hear something and understand it right away, we are leaving ourselves vulnerable. So how do we not let this happen? What do we need to do so that we can try our best to not misinterpret or misunderstand God? All right, and there's two parts to this. And I'm going to use a little visual here. Aaron's going to bring this up for me. And I'm going to tell you this right now. If you are in the room and you are a photographer, I am more than likely going to butcher some things right here. And you're going to be like, this guy's an idiot. All right, but just bear with me. All right. I wanted to have a visual today. So we have this camera. Sure, however we want to do this. Okay, we have a camera. We have a lens. And it's these like two parts that come together. All right? Uh, and we can buy different cameras. We can spend a little bit of money on a camera. We can spend a lot of money on a camera. You can do the same thing with lenses. You can have all sorts of, of things put into this. And both of these are essential for taking a picture. All right? Now, there's a lot of other pieces as well, but uh, you, you have to have the body of the camera. It's the mechanics, the pieces that are needed to actually capture a picture and, and retain it. All right? So for us today, I want, I want a body of a camera to represent, like, our understanding of God. Like, the basic foundation that we have. And maybe that foundation consists of today. Maybe it's your first time here, and you're like, I, I don't really have much of one. Maybe your foundation is, is years and years, but have you been like truly pressing in and learning and growing with God? Like this, this is the body of the camera. All right? And there, there can be all different types. And some of us in the room, we need to realize like the, the body of our camera, our understanding of God is basically the equivalent of a disposable camera. We, just have, we have not put in the time. We have not spent time seeking after God. And learning more about him. And, and digging into his word. We have a very shallow understanding of things. And then we have the lens. And the lens is what you have to look through in order to see what it is you're looking at. And the lens for us is all sorts of different things. And every person has a different lens. All right, And the things that make up my lens or my filter that I view the world through. My, my gender, my ethnicity, my age, my childhood, my upbringing, my past experiences, the time period that I'm living in, in the world, the world events that are happening around me, all of these combine together to create that filter, that lens that I'm viewing things through. And I can't change that. I have a lens. You have a lens. You, you, you can't. The goal here is not to get rid of it. You can't. 
what I can do is be aware of all of those filters. I can be aware of the lens that I'm looking through. When you go to take a picture, if you're not aware of what type of lens you have, you might end up with a really bad picture. The people in Lystra had a filter that they viewed the miraculous healing through. And that filter, that lens, was brought them to Hermes and Zeus. And Paul knew that they had that filter. So when he was sharing the gospel with them, he was sharing it in a way where he knew that that filter of these Greek gods was going to stand in the way. And he's trying to bring it in. No, there's this one God, this one creator God. So when I read the Bible, I have a responsibility. All right? I have a responsibility to know what my filters are. There's something, there's a, a book that I, I had in college, and there's, there's this diagram. Uh, Buster, you can put that up on the screen for me. And it's this idea of, okay, th this was written to someone other than me. Okay? So we have people in that time, their culture, all sorts of different things. And if I want to understand what's going on, if I want to pull the most out of the Bible, I need to understand a little bit of what did it mean to the original person. It meant something to them. And then I start to come up with this, okay, what are all the things that stand in between me and them? And you see that kind of little river there. You have culture, language, time, situation. The word that's cut off there would be covenant. The fact that when you read something in the Old Testament, they are under a different covenant than we are. All of these things matter. And we try and, we try and understand it for them. We try and look at the filter that we have. Then we move beyond that and say, okay, now what does this mean to me? And here's what I love about the Bible. We can open the Bible and God can speak to every single one of you without any understanding of this. That's something that's amazing about the Bible. God can speak to us through it. But I'm telling you right now, you will reach a plateau. And you leave yourself vulnerable to beliefs that maybe we shouldn't be holding. And in the same way that the people of Lystra misinterpreted what God was trying to say to them, we leave ourselves open to misinterpreting what God's trying to do in our life. I've seen a lot of people walk away from God because they were misinterpreting things. They say, I'm done with God, I'm done with church. And when you start to dig into it with them, they rarely are actually done with God. They're, they're done with what their understanding of God is, of what they think is going on. And usually when you can sit down and have a conversation and try and correct some of these things, it leaves them in a much healthier place. So as we, as we read this chunk, I, I pulled this one out of Paul's missionary journey because I'm like, uh, I know this is not one of those like great, like, oh man, that was, uh, that was such an entertaining message and it really is applicable to my life. And some of you guys are going to be like, I didn't really like that. That's okay. Like these are things we need to hear. We need to hear that it takes time. We need to hear that we, that we, that we need to press into God. That we need to understand what it is that we believe. Move beyond maybe what we are taught sometimes as a child because I have found in my life, as I've done this, there are things that I was taught as a child in Sunday school. 
that no one ever revisited again. And I'm an adult with a child understanding of something in Scripture. Think of how many people out there, their understanding of what eternal life and eternity is, is clouds and robes and harps and floating around like angels. Because when they were little, they saw a little flannel graph in Sunday school that taught that. And they've never gone back and dug into anything that, that actually matters in, in, in this area. And we leave ourselves stunted in some of these things. And so I, I wanted to just challenge us this morning with this. And we can, why don't we stand as we just kind of bring this to a close. Where is your understanding at? Where, where, where are you at in this? If, if you had a camera on your hand that represented the foundation that you have with God, how confident you feel you understand his character and his word and the promises that are in scripture and which of those promises apply to me and which of those promises probably don't. If you had to sit there and say, where am I at in this? All right, now I'm not saying that we all are going to end up becoming doctors of theology or something. Like, that's, that's unrealistic. But where are you? Do you look like someone that has a, a good grasp? Or when you look at God, you're going you're gonna to have a, a solid picture of what he is. Using the camera analogy, I'd say today in our world, I think we're just a bunch of Polaroid cameras. We want everything immediately. I don't have time to wait. I don't have time for this or that. And so you end up with this picture of God that's a little fuzzy, a little weird. And you're like, ah, oh, that's good enough, right? I said a prayer once, so I, I got my ticket to get into heaven. What does it really matter if I understand anything more? And right there in that statement, you are revealing so much of your understanding of this. That's not what this is. And then how do we define, what are the things? What are the filters that I'm looking at God through? This is important. I remember talking with somebody back Okay, we'll say mid-2020. Remember when everything was kind of falling apart? And they're like, it's got to be the end of the world. Jesus is coming. And I'm like, okay, well, maybe. I mean, I, I don't know. You could be right. But if you're saying that because you're looking at the world around you, I'm going to be like, do you want to stop for a second? How about we talk about a believer in another part of the world. Do you think that because America is falling apart, that that means to them, like, oh, it must be the end if things in their life are just kind of moving along? Think of how many times our life has been moving along and you have terrible atrocities happening all over the world. Like right now in Sri Lanka, and if you're a believer, you're probably like, this, this looks like it could be the end. Okay, well, I don't live in Sri Lanka. So I don't see that same filter. 
How many of these filters are we allowing to just kind of cloud our view of God and really shape the way that we are following him? The first step is just kind of identifying what are those filters. So this week, I just, I want to give homework. Spend some time. Spend some time on the body. Spend some time identifying what those filters are. Because your filters are probably different than the person next to you. You might have some of the same ones, but you definitely have different ones. And as we begin to figure this out and put this all together, it allows us to take actually a a, a more full picture view of God in our life. God, I pray right now, Lord, that you would just begin to highlight this for us this week. God, if there are areas where where our view of you has been skewed because we are looking at you through some filter, Lord, that we would be able to either uh, remove that filter, we would have knowledge of that so that we can can then say, okay, you know what, Uh, maybe that's not completely right. Maybe I'm starting to feel that way because of this in my life. God, I pray that you would, you would surround us, Lord, with believers that can help just edify us and build us up. Lord, that, that can make us uh, into this like well-bodied Christian that has a solid understanding of you. God, that when we gather together, Lord, here on a Sunday morning, when we gather together in our life groups, when we just spend time with our family, with our friends, and we are spending time with believers, Lord, that this is something that would just flow out in our life. God, that we are constantly building each other up. Lord, just pointing towards you, moving towards you. God, that we would have... Uh, just that accountability in our life. Lord, if we are, if we are misrepresenting you in some way, that, that someone would come alongside us and, and point that out. And God, I just thank you that, just like in this story, Lord, when, when we kind of try and pull these off, Lord, what, what Paul saw there is you, the Almighty, the Creator God of everything. And you provide and you care simply because that's who you are. And we thank you for that. If you're here and you've never made a decision to uh, just kind of hand your life to God and say, God, I want to follow you. You've never made that decision before, but you're kind of wondering about that. Maybe you want to make that decision. Maybe you want to ask questions about it. You want to talk about it. You want to have a better understanding of it. There's a connect card that's in the seat or in the chairs in front of you, and there's boxes on that. One of them says, I want to follow Jesus. You can write your name on the front and just check that. I would love to get together, talk about this, go over questions, dig into things. There's another one that just says, what are my next steps? What does this look like for me? What should I be doing? How should I be moving forward? Either one of those, Pastor Aaron or myself, we're going to get in contact with you. We want to help you start this journey. God, we thank you for just this unconditional love that you have for us. Lord, we pray that as we go about our week, God, that we would would be able to bring you to people in a way 
that it wouldn't be misinterpreted, it wouldn't be misunderstood, but God, instead, they would just see you for who you are. Give us the right words, give us the right actions, give us the right motives in all of this, Lord. We ask this in your name. Amen.